So, as the Apostle Paul, you know, he was in prison. And before Felix, he rejoiced to be able to make his defense before him. And I rejoice for that opportunity today to be able to make a defense to you. Really, it was a defense that the Apostle John made in his day to the Christians of his hour. If you have your Bibles, open to Galatians. I want to jump straight into this. Get immediately to our subject in Galatians. I preached a message on faith. Meaning then to go and preach a message on love after that. And the reason faith and love is because faith, according to Paul here in Galatians, chapter 5, maybe we read in verse 5, through the Spirit by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Now that hope... That may be that we're going to get to the place where there's no longer a defect. But probably that is Paul's way of saying that we wait for the verdict of righteousness when we stand before God. For, and there's something that's happening in our life right now as we wait for that in the future. In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, and circumcision and uncircumcision is that which you see, you go back to verse 2, if you accept circumcision, Christ is of no advantage. I testify to every man who accepts circumcision, he's obligated to keep the whole law. Circumcision and uncircumcision are things we do. That's what you can do. And what we do, and when we seek to keep the law, you know what that's all about. You do stuff and you expect to receive God's uh, applause. You, you, it, you, works is all about working for your due. Getting payment for it. Getting what you deserve in the end. That's what circumcision... But you know what? Circumcision and uncircumcision, whether you do it or whether you don't do it, it counts for... Nothing. It doesn't count for anything. And before who? Obviously before the Lord. It doesn't count. What matters? What matters is only faith working through love. Faith working through love. Now, this is one of the most important statements that Paul makes in the epistle to the Galatians. Why? I mean, he's telling us what is essential to what God approves of. What matters to Him. What's acceptable to Him. And you see it there. Other stuff doesn't count for anything. This is what counts for everything. Yes, yes. By faith, we are justified. But I'm justified only, brethren. You are justified only. By that faith which produces love. Not by any other kind. Because there is no other genuine kind. Brethren, we sit here today. 
Okay, we've opened up the Word of God. I just ask you this, very practical things. What's going to compel you to be the kind of Christian that goes beyond just gathering together within these four walls and doing the Christian thing on Sundays? What is it that's going to compel us, more of us, to get out of our comfort zone and go to places like Haven of Hope? Or to go up and down the highways and the hedges and the byways out here in the east side? To get what, what is it that's going to move us, though you may be shy, but going to move you to go talk to your neighbors? Or to go to the campus? Or go to the nursing home? What is it that's going to move upon us to maybe, you know, it's, it's one thing when we have a week of prayer and fasting and we start the year with that. We used to do that quarterly. I don't know if that still happens. But beyond that, where you're burdened, you're going to sacrifice some time to pray and fast for those orphans being bombed in Myanmar or for the needs that, that the team has in Lebanon. What's going to move us to do that? Faith. But this faith, it spawns something. Something comes out. Brethren, what's going to compel us to go to a dangerous place to talk about this Christ? You know, we talk about this Christ who who did what He did. What is it? What we find here is faith connects us to Christ. And it's through the Spirit by faith. By faith in Christ. You never want to forget that. Faith in the Son of God. And it's the Spirit there that empowers and energizes and unleashes His His energy into the life of the Christian and the way that it flows out is love. Love flows from faith. That's what we've got. Faith loves to rely on the power. That's what faith does. It looks outside itself and it rests and trusts in Christ and what happened on that cross. And there is, there is a power that is let loose through that cross that turns people like you and me into those who will go out and do what Jesus said. And he separates. I was hungry and you fed me. I was a stranger and you took me in. What prompts that? What is it? And what we have is faith. Faith in Christ. Faith as I I cling to Him. We have this faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and that faith comes to life through love. Faith flows out of love. So, like I say, this is what matters with God. So this is what matters about your life as God is watching you. And what happens as you seek to live this life. He's watching. What does our life look like? We can talk about the doctrines we believe and we should. But you see what matters. So, two weeks ago I diverted because we had the money thing coming up. Financial meeting. I meant to deal with love then. After dealing with a message with regards to faith first. And where I went with faith is to Hebrews chapter 10, the last few verses. 
11, and then the first couple of verses to 12, you have, I believe it's 44 verses there, where you have the most extensive treatment of faith that we have in all of our Bibles. Now what I want to do today is I want to go to that portion of Scripture that is most saturated with love. So, where? let me ask you, where? 1 John. That come to everybody's mind? 1 John. You know what you have in 1 John? Let's turn there. 1 John chapter 4. There's a place in your Bibles where love is found 32 times in 18 verses. No higher concentration of love anywhere. So, let's go there. This Galatians thing is only a springboard. Because this is what matters to God. Don't you? Brothers, sisters, does anybody here care what really matters to God? Yes, you do. I do. And you know what? There's a whole bunch of external stuff that we often put in the place of what really matters. And all you have to do is be in the Christian community just a little while and you recognize we have people all the time that put things in place of faith working through love. They put things. Because, because you know what happens? We, we get... You say, oh, circumcision. No, 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 that doesn't matter anymore. And so what you do is you, you almost unknowingly put yourself in the uncircumcision camp. Well, we don't do that. As so though that's what matters. And it's amazing how much the Christian community, oh, I hear these arguments. Should we, can the Christian lie? Can the Christian not lie? I mean, I'm just saying from when we were over in the UK, I would hear about different things that cropped up. Do we baptize our children? Do we not baptize our children? And I'm not saying, look, I'm not saying that we ought not to be straight on where circumcision falls out in the Christian life and where uncircumcision falls out. But it's amazing to me all the debates we get into over what are we going to do with regards to homeschooling or can you vote for a Democrat if you're a Christian? Ah, why? It's like the things we waste our time with. Don't you agree? Faith working through love is what really matters. So, we need a good dose of faith and a good dose of love. We did the faith. And this doesn't mean that that's everything that needs to be said about faith. But here we have the highest concentration of love found in the Scriptures. I'm going to dive in at verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. I mean, you can see already just the concentration of it. you got it three times right in one verse. Anyone who does not love, there it is again, does not know God. Because all these immortal words, God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest. Now don't worry if you don't. For one thing, John, Martin Lloyd-Jones says, John goes in circles. He preaches in circles. I, I remember uh, Piper said that he's like a bee. And he, he flies kind of hovering, not in the same 
concentric circles all the time, but kind of he circles over here, but then his next circle is kind of over here. And he's just like a bee flying around a, a flower. Both of those are perfectly fitting. I, I love Paul, very linear, very, that's my, my uh, mathematical mind tends to think like that linearly. So don't worry if as we're reading John, you're like, well, I'm not really following. He's kind of all, all over. John loves to circle back and deal with things again, and he mentions them one, and then he comes back. And we're going to try to put this together in a more linear fashion in just a second. Verse 9, and this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. So we've come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in Him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as He is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love. Textual issue. We love Him because He first loved us. Or, some manuscripts leave it out, we love because He first loved us. But you know what? If we love because He first loved us, who do we love? Well, you get the two loves after this. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he does not love his brother... He who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has seen. We see the kind of love that we're given. It's love for God. It's love for our brother. This is the commandment we have from Him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Everyone who believes Jesus is the Christ has been born of God and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. So there we have it. Now, I don't just want to speak about love. Or try to promote a little love. You see it. It showed up there several times. We're going to go back and look at it. Brothers and sisters, if I could leave an ache in your heart for anything, it is to have perfect love. And there is a perfect love that is described here. And John is not saying that this thing is unreachable and un un unobtainable. That's, that is not his purpose here. Look at verse 18. Oh, I love this. Brethren, 
This is God's Word. I hope, I hope God will give you the ability to just to retain this, to hold this, to keep this, to think on this. Verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. And you know what's happening here? John tells us how to cast fear out of your life. Isn't that what he says? Isn't that what it says? Perfect love casts out fear. That's exactly what John is doing. He's showing us how to cast fear out of our life. How? 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 Don't be afraid. Just say what the text says. But you've got to possess it, right? It's it's not just like, well, there's perfect love over there. That brother over there has it. Therefore, I don't fear. The only way you don't fear because of perfect love is if you possess it. We're all in agreement, right? That's not rocket science. So, it's not something unobtainable. And I want to prove that to you. I want to prove to you that we can have it. We should have it. We ought to have it. And so what I want to do is work from verse 18 outward. So verse 18, how to cast fear out of your life. How? Perfect love. And so all we have to do is ask the obvious question. What position do you think John would have you be in? Does he want you cowering in fear, afraid you'll be punished? Clearly not. I mean, clearly he doesn't bring up this because he wants us in that position. And if you go back up just one verse, verse 17, by this is love perfected with us. The King James there says, herein is our love made perfect. How? It doesn't tell us how right here. But what I'm wanting to emphasize to you is that Love being perfected with us is very much something that John sees as being real stuff so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. This isn't theoretical. It's just the opposite of being unattainable. Whatever perfected love is, John says, you really want to have this. Do you know why? Every one of us is moving forward in time. There's a timeline here. And you know what's at the end of that timeline? There's a day of judgment. This love is something you want in light of that. Now, all the things we could say about love, it's like, did you even think it was going to... And I understand judgment day and Christ is going to judge me based on whether I loved. I was hungry and you fed me. I was hungry and you didn't feed me. You can understand how love fits into judgment day based on that. But isn't it interesting that judgment day and Love also have another connection here. So there it is. All I'm trying to prove right now is whatever perfected love is, John assumes you and I need it in light of the coming judgment day. And I'll tell you, brethren, we can't, we can't escape it. There is actually going to be that moment when it's your turn. And whether or not you possess this perfect love, it's going to matter then. It's going to matter before that. Okay. So, again, we see 
Real stuff here. Now, go back to verse 12. Further back. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. It's okay. I hope, you, I, I, hope I prove to you that John is not just giving us something theoretical, but he hopes one or two Christians out of all the ranks of those he writes to might get this and uh, achieve this. So then the, the next thing is this. Perfect love? Perfect? Is that... I, I mean, can I, can I have perfect love? Now think with me. I would just say this about perfect. John uses this term in other places. We, we often think of perfect as being absolutely as good as can be. No defect at all. But the word, listen to how it's used in another place in John. I, this is Jesus praying to His Father in John 17. I glorified You on earth having accomplished the work You gave Me to do. Or the New King James says, I've finished the work You've given Me to do. That's the word. Finished. Accomplished. The idea here is that something happens in us, with us, those are the prepositional phrases that John's using concerning the love of God coming to perfection in us, with us. And it's the idea of it, it's becoming accomplished. It's becoming finished. It's becoming fully developed, full-grown, completed. It's being brought to that highest standard that John is pressing us for. Adding that which is lacking in order to render the thing complete or full. That's the idea here. Listen, John is talking to real Christians. And he's talking about real Christians who have something real that happens in them so that the result is full. The result is complete. The result is so high that John can actually look at how, how something has happened in your life and he can get to the place where he says, what you have is perfect. It's perfect love. That's how he's talking here. Brethren, the last thing you want to do is write this off because you've got your own definition of what perfect means. You, you have this belief that it's just simply something you can't obtain and so then you write it off. As this is just pie-in-the-sky stuff. He's preaching some standard we can never reach. No, he's talking about something that we can have. He believes that we not only can have it, we need to have it. We need to have it in light of the fact that brethren, faith working through love is the only thing that really matters. And this thing coming to perfection is a thing that's going to matter as judgment day approaches. Don't you like this? Anybody like the sound of that? Perfect love. And you can say, oh, I love the sound of it. I just know me, not happening. Don't do that. That's not faith. Faith works through love. See, faith is like, oh, 
Well, if John believes this can happen, there must be some power in the cross. You see how faith, faith produces this? Faith looks and clings to the cross of Christ and what He did. It's like if, if, John, if God sent John to talk about this inspired of the Spirit of God, then this must be something that the power of the cross is able to create in me. That's how you want to think. Not unbelief. Faith works through love. Unbelief doesn't work through love. So, here it is. Anyone want this, by the way? This sound good? Somebody raised a hand. Yeah, I'm going to raise mine too. I want this. And so, okay, what is perfect love? The first thing I want you to notice is this. John calls perfect love something in... Just jump back to 1 John 2.5. We're going to come right back to 4 in a second. But go, just go back two chapters. Because 2.5, he uses the same kind of terminology over here. You see it there? Whoever keeps his word in him truly, the love of God is perfected. There's the idea again. But what I'm wanting you to see is it's called the love of God. And now jump back to 4. When you go to 4.12, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and His. Well, you have a pronoun instead of the proper noun. But His love. Whose love? God's love. That's what it's called. God's love is perfected in us. So, the first thing that I want you to recognize is this. This perfect love is called the love of God. Okay? Ask this question. What does love of God mean? In my best tally, I can think of three possibilities. The love of God, God's love is perfected in me, could mean my love for God is perfected. That's the love of God. My love for Him would rightly be called the love of God. My love of God. Or, His love for me. That's the love of God. Is that what's being perfected? Or, the love He puts in me that He gives, that's like He loves, but He gives to me to love you. That could be the love of God because it's the love He gives. It's the love of God and the fact that it's by His standard. It's by His giving. So, the only way to flesh this out, which one of these three it is, is to look at the context Brethren, it seems to me what makes this love so perfect is that all three are found here in the context. All three of them. Brethren, first, let's think about God's love for me. Can that be perfected? No, but my comprehension of it can be perfected. And you see that in verse 16. Look at it. So we, we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. You see, that's what's being perfected. My comprehension of it. God is love. Whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in Him. By this is love perfected. How is love perfected? Well, you can't go anywhere else than to start with this. God's love for me. And God's love for me is perfected only in the sense that I actually begin to recognize it and believe it and apprehend it and cling to it 
Brethren, it's got to be real to us. We don't go to the Lord's Supper every single week for no reason. There's, there's, brethren, what you want to do, obviously, if your love is going to be perfected, is you want to think a lot about God's love for you. So, you see that in verse 16. But then, my love, my love is perfected. My love expands and it blossoms as a result of that. And you know where you see it? Verse 19. We love because He first loved. You see, He loves us. We comprehend that love. And then we love as a result of that love. We not only comprehend it, God does a work in us because of the love that He showed us by sending His Son. Some transformation happens within us. And the result of that is that we love. Now, I know that's the ESV rendering. Some of you sitting there with the KJV, the New King James. The truth is, if you just take the, the ESV rendering or the NAS rendering, we love because He first loved us. But brethren, that includes love for God. It just it means that we love. We have love. We have love for God. We have love for one another. But you, all you have to do is, is just keep going here. Now you go to verse 21. Brethren, we love. We truly love Him. And of necessity, what happens by that love is we must love those He loves. Verse 21 says it. This commandment we have from Him, whoever loves God must also love His brother. So brethren, you see this. We come to know, we come to comprehend, we come to believe the love that God has for us. And then you have love for God. So, so you see that there's, there's God's love for us. We comprehend it. That comes to perfection. As we do that, we're recognizing this. Then what happens? Our love for God is perfected. And if our love for God is perfected, out of that, if we love God, then we love those that God loves. That is, that is the whole idea behind this perfection of love. You see it here. So, I want to talk for a second about the dynamic of perfected love. Just kind of more of an explanation. The dynamic. I like that word. That has engineering connotations that I'm familiar with. It's basically what would dynamic be the opposite of? Or over against? Static. Yeah, for you math nerds. Uh, static. What does static mean? Unmoving. You can have force. I can apply a force here. Can you tell? No, you can't tell because there's no movement. When you have dynamics, there's movement. There's progress. There's motion. Something is, is there's an activity. We see that, that God's love is perfect only when there's motion. God's love for us, we're not static with it. We're apprehending it. We're comprehending it. We're believing it. We're seeing it. We're realizing it. It's becoming more and more real to us. So there's, there's growth there. There's, there's progress there. But then that moves us off. My love for God is reflected back in my, I, I mean, there's an appreciation. But, but my love for Him doesn't stop with Him. Everybody that He loves, and, and even beyond that. I mean, we see that the very Son of God Himself said, the tax collectors love those who love them. And so, it, it goes even further. But, 
There's, there's a dynamic here. Brethren, what we want, perfect love, is when it goes full circle. Full circle from His love for us. I'm comprehending it. I love Him. It falls out in me loving you. And that, that's the full gamut. That's, that's this thing being perfected. Undoubtedly, that's what we're being told here. The best way to explain it is simply to show you. Look at verses 11 and 12. Beloved, if God so loved us... You see, there needs to be movement. The if-then type of statements. There needs to be movement. There needs to be progress. There needs to be growth. There needs to be result. We, this needs to take us somewhere. If God so loved us... We also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected. You see how it's perfected? It's perfected because we see how much God so loved us and that ought to produce a certain result. You go to verse 16. So we have come to know. See, if God so loved us. But you've got to know that. You've got to believe that. You've got to test that. You've got to see that. You've got to realize it. You've... The love God has for us. God is love. Whoever abides, there it is. And because of that, we then abide in love. We abide in God. God abides in us. By this is love perfected with us. You see how it's being perfected. And how did God so love us? Verse 9. Brethren, and this is love. And this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So you see where it begins. You see where this, you know where perfect love begins? The manifest love of God. It's manifest. That's what's said there in 9. It was made manifest. This is the basis upon which John's whole appeal to us to love one another arises. You've got to go back to this. Brethren, we can't just say to one another, love more. You know how we're supposed to stir one another to love in good works? This isn't just, brother, go do, go do, go do. Brethren, we need to constantly be reminding one another of this very reality that He so loved us. There is a manifestation of it. Verse 8 says these eternal words, God is love. If you back up to that verse, God is, brethren, God is love. And not just, it doesn't just say that God loves or that God is loving. The idea is that the essential nature of God is that of love. Do you believe that? I'll tell you what, you know what the devil tells you is the essential nature of God? He's cruel, he's demanding, he's hard. He's unloving, and to follow Him is miserable. Have you, do you not find that? But brethren, His very nature. And if you and I understand this love, verse 16 says, 
So we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love. Verse 17, by this is love perfected. Brethren, as we grasp this, I'll tell you what is going to prompt us to unleash love at a new level. Obviously, it is a perception of something at a new level. Brethren, when we suddenly begin to realize, we suddenly have a sensation. Have you had that? Have you had that in your Christian life? Where you hear your own devotion, you're in the Word of God, or you're out and you're under the stars in prayer, or you hear some kind of preaching and it comes and God just whispers His love to you. And it's, brethren, if there's anything that's going to create the most loving church, something wonderful happens within us when that happens. Now, you can stop right here. You just need to recognize this and what this means. Brothers and sisters, what it means... Listen, I know that during my time in Manchester, one of the things that happened during one of the seasons is there were some people making the charges against the church here that the church is unloving. Now, you can weigh out to what degree you think that is true or false by where you're at. Don't stand in judgment of others, but just by where you're at. But I can tell you this, that we as a church as a whole will achieve this perfect love as each of us individually have this wonderful thing happen in our life. It means that our failure to fully love as we ought, our failure to, to manifest perfect love like being talked about here can be connected to what? I mean, what's the obvious thing? Brethren, it, it can be connected to the fact that we fail to recognize and know and believe in the love of God was manifested for us the way that it is. And we can know theology. And we can argue it. And we can come sit in the meetings, brethren. But our greatest need, you know what this is telling us? Our greatest need is to know God and know what He's done out of love for us. That's There it is. And how it is that His essential being as love manifests itself. And that produces a love for Him, which produces a love for one another. And that's how love's perfected. Brethren, I can remember when I was lost. I was preaching the Gospel to one of my... No. <laughs> Let me say that. I can remember when I was newly saved with one of my friends who was lost his name is Keith. And I was preaching the Gospel to him. And I was telling him about the danger he's in. And you know what he said to me? But isn't God loving? What was, his, what was he trying to argue for? Because you've heard that kind of thing. What was he trying to argue for? He's trying to argue, I can live a wicked life, but God is loving. And so, there's some expectation that when I get before Him, He's going to wink at my sin. He's just going to kind of toss it under the rug there. Brethren, what, you know what? 
John doesn't say God is love in verse 8. And they just say, well, enough of that. Let's go on to something else. Let's go talk about baptism. Let's go talk about marriage. He doesn't do that. He doesn't just quickly change the subject and move on to something else. Why? Just look at where He takes us after verse 8. He takes us to the incarnation in verse 9. And then to propitiation in verse 10. Propitiation? What's that? Let's say, I mean, come on. We want something practical here. We want to live our lives. And we, you're talking about love. Tell us how to love. Stir us up to love. Propitiation. Where in the world does that come in? Brethren, do you recognize we can't even begin to understand God being love unless we dive into some of the deep theology of Christianity? He just take this shallow view. Brethren, how do you know God is love? Just because, well, you want to believe it? Just like my friend there, this is a high school buddy. Just because you think so? You know what? The world out there loves to hear God is love. And they'll say it. But on what authority do they say it? On what authority do you say it? I mean, how do you know? People flippantly toss around this notion all the time. God is so loving. He can't do this or He won't do that. How? He has no proof. The world walks around with no proof of the love of God other than the fact that they just hope and in their own imagination they got this idea that He's just going to wink at their sin. What is your authority? What is mine on saying that God is love? Do you have any authority? How can we say it? Brethren, our authority always comes back here. And the authority is right in these words that John says. He tells us Christ's mission into this world is the greatest proof that can ever be given about the love of God. Yes, God expresses His love in other ways. There's no doubt about it. But what is the principal evidence that God is love? Well, it's found right here. That which far surpasses all the other expressions of His love. You know what happened? God is there. God is enthroned in glory. He became. Did you hear it in the song? He became a curse for us. There He is at His Father's side. Can you just imagine? There's perpetual smile. If we're going to be anthropomorphic, we put some human characteristics to them. But there they, I mean, there is an eternal smile between the Father and the Son. There they are, enthroned in the glory. It says in the song, it says that He took His crown off. There it is. While they're enthroned in glory, the Father and the Son, there they are. And from heaven, the Father sent the Son out of that eternal bliss. Did you get those words? Bliss. And from the absolute perfection down, down, He descended down into the darkness of this world among sinners. Down. The very Son of His love, the very Son of His bosom, the very radiance of His glory. Here He is coming down into the darkness of this world. And, and what did men do to Him? They hated Him without a cause. They spit in His face. They plucked His beard out. They scourged Him. They crucified Him. They hated Him. And that's there it is. And so John is telling us, you can't, you can't know about God's love until you really grasp the doctrine of the incarnation. God manifest in the flesh. God made it, that we might live. Did you catch that? Verse 9, that we might live through Him. But 9 isn't all. Then he, I mean, he goes on. We must advance to verse 10. What's there? The propitiation of our sins. I know. I, I Look, I'm like you. 
I hear that. If we if we really if we really realized what that is. God is angry. God is full of fury. God's wrath is real. Do you realize a whole eternity in hell, you in hell, would not have abated that fury in the least? And what do we have? Jesus came and the hammer fell. And brethren, it didn't fall on me. I can now behold His face in peace. I'm accepted. I'm even bid to come before His throne. Brethren, do you realize the Son of God? Did you catch that? Have you ever caught those words in Psalm 22? Poured out like water. David is only the shadow. Like a pot sure that's just cooked in the furnace. He was cooked. His soul just poured out like water. He was melted under this. He sweat as it were great drops of blood just in the anticipation of it. Brethren, do you realize God does not love us because of the least thing in us? God only lo- God loves us in spite of us. What are we? Who are we? There's no explanation for our salvation except that God is love and God's love moved in pity toward us and it was caused not by any good, not by any beauty, not by anything in me. Nothing at all. Nothing. Nothing in me called forth that love. Everything in me demanded that hammer split my head wide open. And the fact that Christ would come in my place, God's love emanates entirely from Himself. Not because of you, not because of me, not nothing. Brethren, do you remember? I talk about evangelism, my friend. I said it again, I was lost. No, I was saved at that point. But, you, but I can go back to when I was lost. I can go back to when I was like my friend Keith. Do you remember what it was like? Helpless, hopeless, damn sinner, deluded, thinking somehow it was going to be okay in the end, you were lost and you were moving towards that abyss and the pit. And you were moving there with a vengeance. You remember that? You remember those days? And when it really came to making yourself presentable to God, you could do nothing. You could add nothing. Oh, we were thought we were pretty beautiful people. But we couldn't put ourselves right. I could never make myself in any way at all fit to stand before God. And neither could you. But we thought we could. Oh, we were deceived. And if it wasn't for the fact that God in His infinite love provided His Son to be my propitiation, 
damned, damned, damned. I would have been and you would have been. And look at this. Brethren, verse 11. Beloved, my beloved brothers and sisters, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Don't you love the simple divine logic of the Bible? <laughs> you, Christian, you have no right to live any other kind of life than this one being called for. You ought. You like that word? O-U-G-H-T. Ought. You ought to love one another. God's love for you demands an ought in your life. How you treat one another. You ought. Perfect love is a reasoning, logical love. You can see it here. How do Christians do it? Brethren, you know what we do? We regularly remind ourselves that if God so loved me, it ought to impact everything. We remind ourselves. You get irritated. You ever get irritated with each other? Somebody just, they test your patience. They disturb you. You get upset with others. You know what a great part of the battle lies in? Right here. As I look into the face of God, I come to pray before Him. On what basis am I coming to Him? Because I'm really handsome and I have a full head of hair and I'm beautiful and presentable and because I did so good this week, is that the basis upon which you come? Because you went with Craig on Tuesday? Is that the basis upon which you come? Brethren, when we get agitated with other people, we need to remind ourselves, how did I get here? Remind myself of how God saw me when I was dead in my sin, like my friend Keith. How did He see me? Totally unacceptable. Totally detestable. Just like there in Isaiah 1. From the top of my head to the bottom of my feet full of sores and disgusting and wretched and unacceptable. God saw me miserable in sin. How could God ever love a sinner like me? How? See, what happens is when I begin to love, begin to sense the reason about why and what has God done. What is it? What I mean, an enemy. How could he do such a thing? His own son? We're talking deity himself. God didn't spare his own son. You ever think about who the son is that he didn't spare for you? And you start thinking about that. It's like, seriously, can I continue to be agitated with my brother or sister in light of the fact that, I mean, wasn't I somewhat of an agitation to him? And instead of do, giving me what I deserve, what did he do? I mean, brethren, such love should move us and motivate us and prompt us, produce in us what? The fullest possible earthly expression of the same godlike love that he showed to us, we should in turn be striving to show to others. And, and so God's love comes full circle to perfection. That's what perfect love is. And so what happens? The goal's arrived at. We get, we get where John means us to go. 
and we love others, God's love for us has its full effect in us by inspiring and developing this very thing. A love like His own flows out of us. And you know what God doesn't say? God doesn't say, well, you should just sit there and you should wait until there's a movement, a stirring of the Spirit in this church. Wait till that happens. Or just sit there until you have some kind of extraordinary experience of, of His love. Or He doesn't say just wait. There's no waiting. No. What He expects us to do is look at the love of the Gospel, the love that God manifested in this book. There's a manifest love. Incarnation and propitiation. Oh, process that. Really think about that and react to that. Brethren, have you received God's love? Then you simply have no right to take any other position than the position of being a lover of others. And you see it. There's, there's simply no use for you to say, oh, I believe this, but then you act contrary to it. Brethren, meditate on this love. You really need to meditate in your times of prayer. Really meditate on Psalm 22. You know what Psalm 22 is? It is unlike anything else we have in Scripture. It is an inspired record of what was happening in the mind and heart of Christ on the cross. In, in a fuller version than, than we have anywhere else. Meditate on Psalm 22. Get a feeling, brethren. Christian, clinging to Christ in faith, in the power of the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, make yourself love others. The kind of love being talked about here that is God-like, God so loved that He gave. We're not talking about you sitting waiting for a feeling. We're talking about giving your life and pouring your life out in light of the love that He's had for you. Brethren, just think of the disgusting, selfish self that you were when you were lost. Self-absorbed. Self-obsessed. Self-worshipping. Self-promoting. God-dishonoring self that you were. Repugnant to Him. Stop and consider how you were. That God loved such a one as you. That is just the amazing thing. That's love. And so John says, Beloved, what ought you to do in light of that? Do you know God is love? Brothers and sisters, are you giving proof that you know it? And as you do, that is how love is perfected. Now, one last thought here. Look at verse 16. We've come to know and to believe the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in Him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Now notice this. Because as He is, so also are we in the world. Now that's very interesting. You know what that means? As He loves, you got to take it in the context of everything being said here. As He loves, so do we love. He's invisible. It says that back up in 12. 
No one has ever seen God. We're visible and we're in the world. He's unseen, we're seen. We live in the world and we are as He is. You see that? Loving as He loves. And so love is perfected. The full circle of perfect love. But notice this. John brings judgment in here. Judgment. Every one of us are going to die. It's appointed for us to die unless grace comes. Then the judgment. When you die, it's sealed. You can't change it. Your eternity is sealed. But that's not the end. You know how Scripture describes it? There's one. He is high and He is lifted up. And He is on a throne. Before His eyes, men want to hide. Men want the mountains to fall upon them. But there's no hiding. You have to stand in His full gaze. And He is going to open books. And in those books is recorded. We must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And you're going to have to give an account for what you did in the body. He's speaking to the Corinthians. It doesn't matter. Believer or unbeliever, we're all there. We're all there. The books are open. This great manifestation of the holiness and the justice of God on Judgment Day. There it is. Terrible day. Can you imagine that moment? You're called forward. It's my time to stand before Him. Your turn. You can almost imagine how things are in this, you know, we stand in lines. Can you imagine you're in line? You're ten people back. Your turn is coming. How do you stand in that line and not fear? Because we're in the line right now. You know your number is already determined. That moment you stand before God. We're already in the line. Whether you're out here at this point in your life, or it's judgment day, I'm not saying there is a line like that. But you get what I'm saying. How do you not have fear? You know what John says? The key to not having fear is perfect love. And brethren, you know how that can be. You know what happens when a person... My Catholic grandmother... You work and you work and you work and you work and you work. But you don't look to the incarnation and propitiation as the place of your hope. You know what people like that? They fear. You know why they fear? They never know if they've done enough. There's always this nagging feeling. I haven't done enough. I haven't done enough. 
But then you know what happens when you get the person? They say, well, Jesus died. But then they live this wild, flippant life with no love. You see, their conscience isn't settled either. Because they may talk a good talk, but the deeds are few. And so, that which God does through faith, faith works through love. You see, when I have faith in Him, not faith in my works, faith in Him, and love pours out. Oh, brethren, when I'm looking to the cross and I find my only hope there, but then I also find the power of God at work in my life to produce in me, kill, kill the kind of selfishness that was there before and produce in me a love that is supernatural. You see the confidence that brings? I look to the cross and I have this evidence. Rivers of loving water flowing out of me. Where would all that come from? How did I get changed? My eyes are on the cross. And so I see where my hope is. I see Christ. The propitiation. I see the wrath of God upon Him. He put that cup to His lips. And the wrath has been removed from me. And I'm a new creation in Christ. And I see the evidences of that. And because of His love for me, oh, it's real to me. And I drink it in and it may it gives me a love for him and if you have a love for him then it produce that produces a love for those he loves and i feel that brethren i oh are we perfect this is perfect love in the sense that it makes full circuit i recognize there are blemishes in our life still that the blood of christ but see that's our hope is it not it's it's this hope brethren my faith rests on this hope that any blemish in how i love you is going to be washed by the blood and there's hope in the power that by his death he hung there on that tree that i might live to righteousness and die to sin there's that there's that hope that expectation and when i see it's real it's not just a fabrication. It's not just in the theology books. But it's real in my life. Oh, Christ is precious to me. And I find my own heart changed. And I find that the desires I had when I was lost, those are gone and they've been replaced by good ones. And, and there is a desire to please Him and a desire to keep His commandments. As I keep His commandments, the fulfillment of all of that is going to be love. Love is a fulfilling of those things. Brethren, when I see this, Oh, perfect love. That is the perfect love. It's made full gamut in my life. I see it. I realize it. And because the conscience, oh, it's put to rest because of all that. It doesn't condemn me. It doesn't threaten this punishment. I feel God's love for me. And at the same time, I also see the power of His love at work in my life, producing and making my life like His to where real God-like love flows out. All, brethren, all this gives me confidence as the day of judgment approaches. Oh, if you don't see the reality of Christianity in your life, then there is not going to be this kind of fear-casting reality behind love. You will be in fear. And you will approach judgment day with this unsettledness just brewing and stewing in you. And brethren, if you're there, if you if you sit here and you realize, yeah, yeah, that's me. I don't think I know anything about this perfect love. I, I, I don't. I, faith working through love is. I haven't seen such a reality in my own life that has given me that kind of peace and that kind of calm. Then cry out to him. Listen, 
He hears and answers the destitute. Just stop in your tracks. Don't go on. Don't go on with this vain hope. Cry out to Him. Ask Him to give you the fullness of this reality. Love. Perfect love. I want it. Scripture indicates I can have it. You see the dynamic. Live in the reality of that. Father, I pray. Unleash the reality of this into this church in a level that we have heretofore not yet seen. For Christ's sake, we want to see this church all the more glorifying to You. More and more and more and more. As that day of judgment approaches, oh, I pray that this would be the most confident, assured, perfect, loving people that grace can produce. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.